0: Alright, so my name's Tony. Uh, I'm the pastor here, lead pastor. I have the privilege of serving here. Uh, If you're new or visiting, checking us out, we are so glad you are here. Um, If you are in elementary school and you would like to hang out with some other elementary schoolers, um, Mr. Jim is over there. He's standing over there. You're going to go with him. I think Miss Jeannie is over there as well. Why don't you guys get up and you can go hang out with some cool 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 elementary schoolers, now if you're uh, stuck with me, we're going to take a short break from the Gospel of John, so we've been sort of slowly plugging our way through the Gospel of John for the last, I don't know, since May-ish, so we've been kind of working our way through the text, Uh, so maybe you're grateful that we're having a little break until you know what we're going to talk about. one of the things that's interesting about this season of our life is we're kind of at this awkward, vulnerable space. So we, you know, 15 months ago, we started this church plant replant within this place. And we've seen God do amazing, amazing things. But we're kind of at this season of like, okay, this is, you know, this morning is very different than when we showed up 15 months ago. 15 months ago, when we were sort of invited in, you know, I think we we were about 60 Uh, And we were hoping and praying that God would show up and move and that original group was given this image, this picture, this invitation. And maybe just raise your hand if you're part of that original group that was here when we first started. Yeah, right? So this group was given this picture, this invitation, this image of a field. And so imagine this church is like a field and God is in the corner and he's in a bulldozer and you have the keys. Do you give God the keys to the bulldozer, or do you hold on to them yourself? And this group of people, right, those who just raised their hand, they say, you know what, we're to this place where, this place, we're struggling, and we need to see God do a new thing. And they said, okay, we're going to give over control of this place. We're going to give the keys to the bulldozer to God. That is a profound act of faith, My family and I showed up uh, in July of last year, and we have just seen the amazing work of God in this place. People have come to know Jesus. People who are kind of floating have found a place where they could land and find belonging. It has been this profound story. I think the first, when we first got here, there was one family under 40, and there was one Sunday when our kids were the only kids in the kids' program. And we've watched as people have invested here. I was just thinking about it this week as you know, I was talking with Chuck, I think last week, and he's like, man, he was helping to lead worship. He's like, man, this is one of the best decisions I have ever made. He's seen God work in these profound ways in his life. And you guys have heard from Amy talk about this. As people have given themselves to this place, they've seen God awaken them in ways that they hadn't experienced in years. It's been this beautiful journey. We went through a name change, right? From Mayflower to Wellspring. We went to Easter and we had a launch, right? This last Easter. And it was the first time in a few decades when this place was full, kind of like today, actually. It was the first time in a few decades when this place was full outside of a funeral. And you could just feel the hope. You could feel the groundswell of energy and excitement as people were encountering the person of Jesus in new and fresh ways. And now we've come to this point, right, where God is moving, it's awesome, it's so exciting, but we're at this sort of weird transitional sort of adolescent moment where it's like we've gone from year one into year two and now it's like we have all these people here, but we did this survey at the beginning of the summer and it was like one thing that was really clear is we have basically 99% of this group has been here over 10 years. And you know, and they had their like cheers experience, right? You came in here everyone knew your name. Right? Fast forward to today, you know, and basically 75% of you gathered have been here less than 6 months. So you have this group, this collection of individuals that are experiencing God in some way and we're wondering, what does it look like for us to move forward together, not as a collection of individuals, but as a community? And we're also at this awkward financial state where, you know, we had some amazingly faithful people locally that fundraised on the front end so that we had some finances, right, to carry us through. Because we knew there was going to be a shortfall. There was no way to go through the change dynamic we went through without having a budget shortfall, right? So they fundraised. But in 2019, that's going to go away. So now we're at this question of how do we come together as a community, And how do we get to a place of sustainability financially so we can see the work of God continue and continue to grow in this place? So it's in that context that we wondered, I love it when kids drop cars because sometimes they roll all the way up here. (laughs) I'm waiting. Uh. So it's in that context, in that narrative, in that story, we've wondered, what is God's word to us? And the phrase that keeps coming back is this, seek first the kingdom. What does it look like to, for us to prioritize the kingdom in this place, localized and enfleshed in this body, in our lives, and the daily rhythms and routines of what it looks like for us as individuals and a community to follow Jesus today? This is the thing. You know, you read something like, seek first the kingdom. And you wonder, you know, we kind of use it out of context. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, seek first the kingdom. It's like, yes. It actually comes from Matthew 6, uh, 33. This is what it says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Right? It's about how do we prioritize the kingdom? What does that look like? what I want to do today is actually, you know, look at this verse in its historical context. I think it starts to frame then what does it look like for us to seek first. Not as a platitude, but as a grounded practice. What we're going to do is we're going to divide this sort of prequel into two sections. Uh, we're going to go through Matthew 6, 19 to 34. We're going to deal with 19 to 24 first though, okay? This is how it goes. "'Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth "'where moth and rust destroy, "'where thieves break in and steal. "'But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven "'where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. "'For where your treasure is, "'there will your heart be also. "'The eye is the lamp of the body, "'so if your eye is healthy, "'your whole body will be full of light. "'But if your eye is bad, "'your whole body will be full of darkness. "'If then the light is in you is darkness, "'then how great is the darkness?' No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right, so the context that leads to seek first is sort of begins with this idea of putting our trust in earthly treasure versus something that endures. So in first century Palestine, they'd have these mud brick Palestinian houses, right? And what thieves would do is they would dig under, They'd get in the ground, dig under, and then they would unearth the treasure that you buried in your house, right? And they'd abscond with it. And the idea was, treasure, you can't trust in it because it can be permeable. It's like the stock market. It's like the housing market. It goes up, it goes down, you know? Don't put your... No, it doesn't. Yeah, seriously, (laughs) not around here. Jesus encourages his listeners, right, at this point, to invest in something more permanent, namely, right, Jesus and his kingdom. But in verse 21, he says this really profound statement that if we skip too fast, we might miss it. He says this, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, clearly, Jesus, at this moment, he's talking about cash and non-cash equivalents, but we know the feeling of treasuring something, don't we? Maybe you treasure that vacation you take. You treasure uh, that promotion you get at work. You treasure your boat. You treasure uh, your new beautiful house. You treasure time alone, you know? You can just be by yourself. You treasure all kinds of things. In my 20s, it was international travel. So I saw, you know, so I, I lose count. Somewhere in the 40s, maybe 50 different countries. I just, I treasured travel, so I invested in it, time and money. Right? When I had little kids, uh, married little kids, I treasured time alone. Right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. Um, You know, when I was in Washington, I treasured being in the Cascades. It was just this amazingly beautiful, wonderful experience. I treasured that. The thing is, right, it's it's sort of easier on one level to talk about treasuring, like, time alone and treasuring the mountains and those kind of things. But Jesus is sort of talking about money here. And the truth is, uh, I don't have a very generous heart. Um, The truth is, when I encountered the person of Jesus or the person of Jesus encountered me in college, I was invited into a community of people. They taught me how to read the Bible. They taught me how to worship. They taught me how to pray. You know one thing they never taught me? How money could influence my relationship with Jesus. No one ever said, hey, Tony, just curious, do you make any money? You know, I didn't make very much. Do you make any money? Ah, you know, do you ever thought about giving it? No, never. So what I did is I did what came naturally to me. What came naturally to me was to live as crazy simple. So my dad, he ended up sort of helping me through college but when I went into the Peace Corps, I made a killing. I made $5,000 that year. <laughs> and, but I saved 4500 of it. And then when I worked at the group homes, I worked at Teenage Meth Addicts and Gang Kids for four years, I made $19,000, and I saved like 14000 of it. And for me, that was intuitive. It was natural. It was just like, pff, I don't need anything, but I sure as heck am never going to be vulnerable again. And I knew that if I had money in my bank account, if I lost my job, if anything happened, I could take care of myself. Started learning about Jesus a little bit more. Started like reading the scriptures a little more and realized there's this like really trend in the scriptures towards generosity. And so I was like, well, maybe I should try and take this a little more seriously. So this was like the decisive moment in my relationship with money. Buddies and I used to go to Pleasure Point Pizza in Santa Cruz. Tuesdays was dollar slice. And I worked up the courage. This is like my decisive moment. I worked up the courage to treat my two friends to two slices each (laughs) to pizza. And I hated every bite of my pizza. You know, it's just like, oh my God, I'm wasting money. That's not a joke. That is like a true story. (laughs) But I realized in that moment was just how trapped and enslaved my heart was to money and what it could provide. All of me was, I was saying, yeah, I love Jesus. And then I was hoarding this money so that I would never have to depend on him. right? And then I watched as I started to invest in things that God loved, and I watched as my heart started to fall in love with those things, too. See, in our context, we often like to sort of separate this idea of our heart from all of our behavior, right? The heart somehow we imagine as independent of behavior, So we can stockpile our money and love Jesus and think there is no correlation, right? But that's not what Jesus actually says. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our heart follows our treasure. And I think in this series and in this moment, Jesus is asking us to go on a treasure hunt of sorts. He's inviting us to say, okay, I didn't imagine this would be so close to the edge. There we go. Right? He's imagining us to say, find the treasure. Right? Where is it? What's in it? Like, if you look at your life with a little bit of honesty in this moment, like, what do you treasure? Because what Jesus says is, where your treasure is, right, there will your heart be also. that where our treasure is, there our heart is, and we can't disconnect them however much we want. Where your heart is, your treasure will be also. So when we're talking about seeking first the kingdom, we actually have to pay attention to our treasure. Now in case Jesus, in case he thinks we haven't gotten it at this point, He says this in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He's using this idea of a master, right? So a slave is 100% committed to a master. They don't have two. And he's saying, like with us, to me, Tony, he's like, Tony, you can't say, singing these songs about trusting in me and then put all your trust actually, in fact, grounded in the concreteness of daily life. You can't put it in money and your bank account. You have to choose. Now, what's obvious, like, historically, contextually, is that Jesus is talking about money, but I think for us, in all honesty, as I've sort of thought about this, I think time is money for us. That just as much as Jesus would say we treasure our money, I would say we treasure our time. Think about it in in this context. If we imagine time as a boss or a master, who hasn't on a pretty much regular basis felt mastered by their schedule or their time? I have to go here. I have to go there. Well, it's on my schedule. When can I fit you in? Ah, Maybe six weeks down the road. Like I'm, we are sort of driven by this boss that is time and our calendar and our schedule. Time money. And the thing that's funny about this, I bet mean, you could pull the middle schoolers and high schoolers in the room and they would also feel like, well, I got, I got volleyball today, I got softball then, and, and then mom or dad, who's the Uber driver, right, is like, well, and they got this and they got that. And then if you're retired, you feel just as busy because you're going to visit grandkids, you're flying around for vacations, you're like trying to live it up because you've spent however much time working, right? If you have little kids, I remember Jeannie and I, when we would go to bed at night you know, it's like you don't even get the night off. You'd look at each other. You wouldn't even say good night. You'd just look at each other and be like, good luck. You know? <laughs> time drives us. The thing about time and money is they reveal. As I was thinking about this message, God got gave me this picture of a house. And we can come on Sunday morning. We can, put, we can make the outside of our house look beautiful and nice. Right, so when people look at it, they're like, oh, that's awesome. What time and, do is, time and money do is they're like windows inside the house. What's really going on with our heart? Are we really seeking first the kingdom? Or is a kingdom at best, you know, one of the things and the many things we dr- juggle in daily life? And this is the thing about treasure whether it's money and what it can buy, whether it's time and how we use it, whether it's status, whether it's time alone, whatever it is. This is the thing about money, But this is the thing about treasure. When you start to mess with treasure and where it is, it creates anxiety. It creates worry. All these things happen in us when we start messing with treasure. Who moved the cheese, right? You get used to a certain way of being, You start moving it, what happens? You start to feel anxious. Maybe you felt like that. Maybe at this point in the message, you're like, can we just go back to John? You know? (laughs) You know, because it creates, maybe you even feel that. As I talk about time and money, you feel a tightness in your chest. You feel this sense of like, well, Tony said this is four weeks, this is the last one I'm coming to, you know? Because there's this feel in our culture that we can't talk about these things. Discipleship includes a lot of life, but there are certain things that are kind of off the table. I know at least for me, I know if you guys know the story of us coming down here. um, You know, we were in Washington and we were offered this, um, I was offered this pastoral position at this larger church, had big staff, big budget, a lot of security. And in that moment, Jesus also offered us the opportunity to come down here. Right? It was this moment of, okay, do I want security or do I want more of you, Jesus? Right it was vulnerable. It's like we don't know. I mean, for those of you who are at the beginning, like we didn't know what would happen. We didn't know if today, like, people being here would actually be here. I remember just how how vulnerable that felt. How much anxiety I felt of like, is anyone gonna show up? right? It's that feeling of when we take that risk to depend on Jesus to seek first the kingdom, it does create worry. It creates anxiety, even last month. You know, so we did this runway funding to help get this thing off, and it's like, it might end in February, right? And I started to feel anxious. I was just like, oh my gosh, I love this place. God is doing something awesome here. What if we're like, what if we don't have money in February to keep things going? So I started getting all anxious, and I was on this walk down the coast, and Jesus was like, Tony, is this your church, or is this mine? You know, in the rooms of AA and NA, they have this thing of let go and let God. And he's like, I need you to let go and let me be God of this place. Right? So often we yearn for control, and Jesus was like, Yeah, this is beyond you. Let me show myself faithful. And then two weeks later, like $25,000 came in through a giver I don't know uh, to buffer that account. It was just like, God, stop playing with me. You know, like, (laughs) this is the thing. God wants to prove himself faithful to us. And he knows, right? He's standing on the northern, northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. He's on this hill, and he's preaching about treasure and heart and worry. And then he says this, right? Because his disciples, some of them have left boats and nets. They've overexposed themselves, risking for Jesus, right? They're overexposed, and this is what he says to them. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? Jesus is standing on a hill in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. He's talking to these people that are following him, right? He sees this bird flying by, and he's like, "Hey, look, Look at that bird." He sees the lilies on the ground as they're sitting and listening. He's like, "Look at those flowers. Don't I provide for them? Don't I clothe them?" And yet, you know, you guys are worried about these things. Jesus isn't saying we don't need to show up for work or, you know, that we don't need to put in some effort. That's his point. His point is that we don't have to worry about investing more in his kingdom and a little bit less in our own. We don't need to sort of, like me, right? stockpile in order to safeguard ourselves from vulnerability because he is a good father that loves us and wants to provide for us. He's like, that's what the Gentiles do. And the Gentile in this context is someone who doesn't know of God as a loving, providing father. So he says to them, right, in verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need them. Don't be like your neighbor, right? In our context, often we're like, well, this is just kind of what my neighbor's doing. This is what my coworker's doing. She's like, I don't care what the culture around us does. Our goal is not to be like our culture, but to be shaped into the image of Jesus who depends on his father, who takes on human flesh, enters into the mess and brokenness of our world, dependent on the father, right? And through, so, through that process brings glory to God. Jesus says to us, right, the goal of the Christian life, the Christian community isn't to look like our secular neighbor, but it's sort of a challenge to us of are we following our rabbi or have we gone off course? Are we being transformed in the image of God or we just look like the people around us who don't even believe in the provision, the holiness, the goodness, and the love and grace of God? Now we've kind of gotten to the point in this scripture of like where we started at the beginning right? what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God? what involves our treasure which is intimately connected to our heart It involves the provision of the Father who will be with us as we take risks that maybe leave us a little bit overexposed He doesn't say we need to abandon everything he says seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Now, the question at this point is, so how does this translate then into this season of our life together? What does it look like for us to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness? Right? What does it look like for us to align our treasure and therefore our heart with the kingdom? What does it look like in the life where we're juggling all kinds of things to seek first the kingdom? You know, if, if time and money are windows into what's really going on, I think we need to talk about them a little bit. And specifically, I want to talk about time as a function as it relates to community and money as it relates to sustainability. So let's talk about time first. So I think I mentioned at the beginning, right, when we did this survey at the beginning of the summer, two things stood out. One, our congregation is 99% people that have been here basically less than six months and more than 10 years. It's a really odd thing. That doesn't happen very often. But it leads to this sort of, we're a collection of individuals at this point that are just starting to get to know each other. The other thing that was interesting about our survey is every time, you know, or often we're talking about this idea of ABLE, right? So ABLE is attend, bless, learn, eat. It's our acronym, right? And so we're asking people, what does it look like? Do you you bless people outside the church, eat with people outside the church? We're just trying to get a sense of people's connections. And this is what was fascinating. When you looked at the survey, we are actually way better at connecting with people outside the church than one another, which is an awesome problem to have. Right? Because what that means then is people are getting invited in. The problem with it, if we're not a little bit careful though, is then we don't actually form connections and relationships with one another. And the thing is, Jesus is calling us to be a community that follows him and makes an impact in the world. Right? Jesus didn't say, all right, guys, when I start this whole thing up, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have sort of a I'm going to have a connection. We're going to do one-on-one coffee shop relationships. That's not what he does with the disciples. He doesn't do that. You know, go to worship, then we'll meet at Starbucks. Uh, no, what he does, he forms a community of followers. That community of followers he disciples, but they also support and walk with one another. And It's in the context of that community that he sends them out into the world to be his witnesses. And I think we're at this really cool moment, right, in the life of our church where all these people are coming and it's like, whoa, do we need ushers? Like, you know, I had some people, sorry, a couple of people came in the front row and they're like, oh man, I don't want to sit next to Tony up here. You know, it's like, it's like the, you know, the one place that doesn't get crowded. So I apologize. But it's like, we're in this moment of growth. God is clearly doing something here, but we're still a collection of individuals coming to worship. And I think God has something more for us. And I think if we want to be the kind of people that make a big kingdom impact in this community, it's going to be more than individuals gathering to worship God. It's going to be God bringing us together so we can support one another, so we can share our passions, our dreams with one another and see what the Spirit does through us. I think we're at this threshold of God doing something incredible in this place, but it's going to require a little bit of time. Now, what I don't mean is that, like, I want everyone to, like, get tents and start camping here. You know, that's not really what I mean. Like, when I say time, I don't mean, like, everything goes here. But I, I do mean a couple things, and I'll share a couple practical ideas. This is the first one. I think that, and this is, like, it's just totally decentralized organic. It's, like, I think we just need to make time to bless one another and to eat with one another. That's it. Like, that's point one. And truthfully, if we didn't get past point one, I would feel okay. So this gets back to Abel. So Abel, every week we invite everyone in this place to attend to the person and presence of God. We invite everyone in this place every week to bless someone inside this body and outside of it as a way to build community here and connections outside the church. L, we invite everyone to learn from the scriptures each week. Take some time. Sit in the scriptures, let God reveal his heart to you through them. Eat, eat, eat with someone in this body to build community. Eat with someone outside the church as a way to foster connection and relationship. And eat is a metaphor as much as a practice. It's like, if you go for a walk with someone, you don't need to carry almonds. Like, you can just walk. The point is, are we open to dedicating some time to blessing one another? so that we feel supported so we don't feel like we're just doing it alone you can attend a church service and be lonely the rest of the week let that not be so in this place you can attend a worship service and not have friends to support you when you're struggling when your heart is wayward people that can't speak into your life to have you search the throne of grace and encounter God we need that If we want to be the people who sort of moves through this key transition moment in our body, we have to be people that are willing to bless one another and eat with one another. And there's no program. There's no organized thing. It's about you, the person next to you, and taking the risk to be known. Secondly, I think if we can get through that one, the second one would be this. I think there's an opportunity to contribute. And what I mean by that is this. I'll just give you two examples. Uh, I didn't ask for permission, so I'll ask for forgiveness if this bothers them. Um, So I love how Jackson, who does sound here, has offered his gift in this body. He showed up and he started using his very specific gift around sound to make our worship experience so, so, so good. Jackson showed up and he offered what he had to this body for our benefit. I was meeting with Michelle the other day, right? And Michelle has an accounting background and she is now our treasurer. And I can't tell you how amazing it is to have someone that I'm talking with that is just like, they totally know finances in a way that I don't. I know how to stockpile money, but I have no idea how to budget or anything. Anyway, the point being, Just someone offering their gift. And my conviction in any church environment is our our limitation is not gifts. I guarantee that in this room, we have way more gifts, talents, and skills than we could ever use. That is not the question. The question is, are we willing to take the risk to use them? Are you willing? It could be big, it could be small. Like right now, we have a... Uh, We we need like four people to say I will help lead our like local and global missions team, group of people that are committed to seeing God glorified in all these different ways. We need a couple people to help lead that charge. Who is that? We need a couple people to help on slides. We need a couple people to help in kids. I mean, the other week we went from our kids, our nursery doubled in one week. Do you know what happens when you go when you double a nursery? We need help. And I guarantee you that in this body, we have all the skills and gifts necessary to meet every single need. Three, uh, I would invite you, if, if those two, if you're like, all right, I'll do those. If you get to three, great. If not, I'm not stressed about it. We have different communities. You know, Monday nights, Tuesday nights, we have different classes we're gonna offer going into the year. Are there spaces where you can connect and find a community of people to be known? to learn, to be discipled and apprenticed in a communal environment. These are a few ideas. I mean, they're just my suggestion, but I think this is the key, right? This isn't about Tony's program. This is about what is the Father's invitation to you? All of our lives are different. All of our lives are nuanced. Some seasons are super busy. Some are less. What is God's invitation to you? Yes, thank you. That was an amen. I heard it. What is God's invitation to you? The spiritual life is not about programs. It's about discerning the voice of the Father and being able to say, yes, God, I want what you want in my life. What is God's invitation to you? And the second, right, is money and then sustainability. Now, hopefully at this point in the message, you realize that I am not like some self-righteous person when it comes to money and finances. Like, I struggle. Like I feel like every time that we do our tithe and offering, it is like a cost to me. It is a choice of saying, all right, Jesus, my heart wants to like, keep this money, but I'm gonna choose to invest it into you and your kingdom. For me, money is about, it's about discipleship. It's about aligning our lives with the heart of God. Two, it's about process, right? Four dollars of pizza, to, you know, today, huge shift, right? It's about the life of our church and this interesting moment we're in where it's like, I think if we all rallied, like if 40 people gave $100 more, we would we would eliminate our shortfall, right? If four people gave $1,000 more each month, it would be gone. I mean, it's crazy, right? It's these little things. We have, I don't know, 200 people here, This is like, what is the incremental change? If we all just listen to what is God inviting us to? With our time and our money, I think we would have no problems. What is God's invitation to you? Right, so that you can align your treasure and your heart with the kingdom. And that you can be blessed and our community will be sustainable into the future. Now, one of the things, like today, obviously, I can't do like a full-on training on a biblical theology of money, Uh, but on the 17th, November 17th, from 9 to 1, I'm inviting a couple friends of mine uh, from San Jose. Brian's here. He's going to share in a minute after service or uh, during the announcement time. He's going to share a little bit, but he's going to do a four-hour seminar on a biblical perspective on money, because I think most of us have never gotten it. Two, his wife is like a finance guru. So she can help with budgets. She can help with like debt. She can help work through the practical. So it's like high on biblical perspectives and then also a practical element of, so now what? I think if you are at all curious about aligning your treasure in your heart, I invite you to go to that. I know it's a big sacrifice. We'll have childcare, we'll take care of it. We'll put food on the table, just show up. But if I was going to offer four principles right now that I think speak into this moment for us, they would be these. The first is this, the amount matters. And that might feel scandalous, but it does. Because if we want to move our heart, it requires moving our treasure. The amount we give matters. For me, $4 mattered, right? When I was in my early 20s, $4 mattered. It doesn't matter to me today. I could give $4 and it would have no effect on my heart. None. The amount matters. The amount we give matters. Two, you determine the amount. What do you want to give? What is God inviting you to give? You determine it. Not me. The Scripture is actually surprisingly open-ended on this. All right? The scriptures call for a sacrificial giving. What does that look like? you determine the amount. It depends on your ability, right? We all have different abilities to give. It depends on our ability. And four, right, it's all about the heart. That in the end, it's all about our heart posture before God. It's all about us aligning our heart and our treasure with the kingdom that we might be transformed into Jesus's image. Now I realize, right, that any sermon that touches on sort of the dual idols of like time and money is going to create some anxiety in the room. It's going to create a sense of discomfort. And I think Jesus recognized this. When he starts talking about seeking first the kingdom. he starts talking about treasure, people are going to be like, oh man, you know, where's this going, you know? I think that's why he then talks about his trustworthiness, that he is good and that we can depend on him. And in the end, I think this is why, like, maybe the thing I care about more than anything in this place is that we become a people that have trusting hearts. Right? That we are the kind of people that trust in the goodness and love and grace of God. And the truth is that's going to have implications on our time and our money. But our time and our money don't matter if our heart isn't becoming trusting. It's all about cultivating a trusting heart. I think this is the thing, right? So when we started this, the DNA of this thing, I think is actually built in cultivating this trusting heart. Remember the field image. Whose church is this, right? This group of people said, God, we're going to give you the keys to the bulldozer. We're going to trust you, and we're going to let go of control. And I think there's a similar invitation to all of us to follow in their footsteps. Say, God, we're going to trust you a little bit. We're going to let go of control a little bit. And we're going to lean into your goodness that you will provide for us. You, you clothe the lilies, surely you will clothe us. You feed the birds, surely you will feed us. And over the last 15 months, God has been doing an incredible work in this place. An incredible work in this place. We've watched it. We've seen God transform this body. And many of us have experienced the transforming power of God in our lives. I think he's inviting us at this moment, in this transition, as we go from year one to year two, to lean in and say, Jesus, what is your invitation to us? Or as we go from a collection of individuals to a community of followers trying to make a kingdom impact on this peninsula, what is the Father's invitation to you and to me? As it relates to our treasure in our heart, as it relates to seeking first the kingdom in a world of many distractions. What does it look like? And as we enter worship, and I invite the worship team back up here, I think that's sort of the dominant question I would invite you to lean into. I'll move this little heart thing out of your way. That way. Is that good, Chuck? All right. I think God is inviting us to go from a collection of individuals to a community of people seeking him. That requires time. God is inviting us to go from, you know, a dependent church to a self-sustaining one. That requires a sense of money. God is inviting us to have soft, trusting hearts in his kingdom. That requires us to let go a little bit and trust him. So as we move into worship, I just invite you, listen to the Father's voice. Listen to the Spirit speaking. I think God has a word for all of us. (laughs) Totally. Let's pray. God, you are good. God, you are beautiful. God, you are the one who transforms us from the inside out. God, I know that. God, as someone who's just a, a greedy hoarder, God, you have worked in my heart. God, to make me someone who can, with joy, invest in what you love. God, I ask that you would speak to us, you would move within us, God, that we would know your heart and your love. God, that we would, we would be able to experience the joy of participation in your kingdom at deeper and deeper levels. God, as we take seriously where we invest our treasure today, God, we take an honest look. God, you would reveal to us the steps that we need to make in order to know you more, to love you more. But God, we also know that in this moment, as broken creatures, we need you. We need you to reveal our hearts to us. We need you to get us unstuck, God. We need you to move in ways, God, that we feel are impossible. God, we need you. To you be the glory and the honor forever, God. Move among us today that we may know you and love you and glorify you. God, with every breath and every word, come Holy Spirit.